Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. So we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter four this morning. Tell you a little bit of, of my background, which I think will be helpful as we begin our time together. I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church in Indianapolis, Indiana. My father led a a movement there. He was a very eclectic person. He wasn't prone to denominations or men. His philosophy was embrace Jesus wherever you find him. And so growing up in an environment like that, I found my way down to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. I went there to get a Bible degree and met my wife there, graduated, and right out of the gate, the Lord said, I want you to plan a church. And so I quickly went to about 100 uh, church growth uh, seminars, church planting, all of those kinds of things, and I found myself uh, deeply grieved because I didn't hear a lot of Bible. A lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of famous people, not a whole lot of Bible. And so I kind of saw Acts 2 at Pentecost, and then later on in the chapter, verses 42 through 47, you see a wineskin forming in the first century church of what they gave themselves to, which we know is the breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship and the apostles' teaching, and then in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are set apart for the work of apostolic ministry, and they begin to plant churches. And so starting out uh, planting a church back then at 22 years old, my wife was 20, um, all I really had was an education, and I had a a lot of practical experience from my father uh, doing the work of the ministry, and again, really just being a Jesus guy. Wherever he is, whatever his word says, I wanna do the best that I can to do that. And so by God's grace, the first six years, we were in six different buildings. So I strongly relate to all of the church planters and all of the folks who are just trying to find something, they outgrow it. Then you've got to raise more money, you outgrow that. So we did six buildings in six years, started in our living room. In 2016, we bought a multi-million dollar facility right outside of Southeastern University. And I've always been a team builder. I believe in team. I believe that team is New Testament. We're gonna read about that today. Um, I've always wondered why we've chosen to prop up one guy in the church. Uh, I believe that we honor men and women of God, but we are never to worship them. And I believe that America has worshiped men too long. And we have worshiped ministries and put them on a pedestal. And I personally believe that God didn't send the pandemic, but he used the pandemic to drive a stake into the heart of celebrity Christianity. 
And I literally believe that we're in a new era of church where God is taking us back to his word, back to the ancient past and giving us an opportunity to build his church his way. Before Jesus comes back for the church, he's going to come to the church. And I fear that he's not going to say, well done. He's going to say, what have you done? because we have chosen to build according to the traditions of men and health and growth textbooks, CEO models. Again, they bring lots of money and they bring lots of people, but they don't bring the glory of God. So I'm not claiming to be anyone special, but by God's grace, as we built and we labored and, you know, we had a preaching rotation. I love preaching rotations because it drives out the man worshipers. They just won't show up when their favorite charismatic rock star's not preaching. They'll just go to another church and perpetuate their addiction. We have too many revival vagabonds. I just jump from church to church, conference to conference, and they're honestly, they're in love with men and ministries. And I truly believe that if we would build God's church God's way, we would eradicate church hurt. Do you realize that God is offering us church hurt immunity in this generation? The fact that we've been hurt by the church is just revealing that we've worshipped men. All of our pain, all of our, because we put all of our eggs and all of our hope and all of our trust in men and their ministries and we went past honoring them to worshipping them. And so... Around 2018, after basically I had worked myself out of a job, do you know the role of ministry, the first step is to find your successor? Do you know that if you've been called to the ministry, God is going to call you to make room for other people? It's not about you. It's not about building your platform or your kingdom. The sign of a good leader is not how many people are underneath them. The sign of a great leader is how many they, they have sent out. Right? We don't measure church success by seating capacity, but by sending capacity. We've, we've got to step into fathering and mothering in the kingdom of God. Stop building our empires and all our kingdoms and glorying in how many people we have on our staff. And we want to glory in how many people the Lord has allowed us to train and equip and send out into the work that God has called them to do. But around 2018, everything is fully functioning. We launched another campus in Winter Haven, Florida. And I felt the grace lift off my life to pioneer as we were, as things were functioning. And I went on a fast in 2019, just bringing before the Lord this pioneering church planting. I was also traveling and writing and things like that, just bringing it before him. And as I was sitting in my room, Jesus Christ walked into my bedroom. Now, it was the only encounter I've ever had with him. I'm not like one of those guys that just like, I fly up to heaven every day and hang out with the four living creatures and, you know, eat soup with the elders. Not really one of those kinds of guys, but it was the most dramatic uh, life transforming. Uh, you know, I had done an interview with Randy Clark. 
years ago and he, you know, he asked me, you know, Jeremiah, you preach a lot on the fear of the Lord. Can you define that? And I remember doing that interview, but it was amazing just in one second standing before the Lord Jesus, I knew what the fear of the Lord was. The fear of the Lord is just simply beauty that makes you tremble. It's it, the only way, and you know, your human words fail you, but it's this sense of being terrified like you want to get as far away from him as possible, but then simultaneously you want to get as close to him as possible. All in one, if we can even comprehend that. And he stretched out his hand to me and he said, Jeremiah, many know the lamb that went to Calvary, but few know the lion who is returning to devour his father's enemies. Many know the lamb who went to Calvary, but few know the lion who is coming to devour his father's enemies. He began to talk to me about two dueling brides that would emerge prior to his return, the harlot bride and the consecrated bride. And we are indeed seeing a great civil war emerge in the church. Whether you want to call it the house of David versus the house of Saul, or you want to call it the consecrated bride or the harlot bride, but we're living in a generation where you're go it's going to be tangible in cities. People who want the presence versus people who are going to fight for a position. People who want to build their kingdoms and exact their mechanisms to draw people versus leaders and people who just want Jesus. And so as he came into my bedroom, the Lord began to say to me, Jeremiah, I want you to move to Charlotte in the years ahead. And so in 2020, we handed over the churches. We laid hands. We blessed everybody. The Lord told me, do what a father would do. Give it all away. So in 2020, I literally signed over every asset, every dollar, every property that the Lord had allowed us to acquire over a 10-year period, and I fully transitioned everything over. Now I'm just in love relationship with those brothers and those beautiful families, but the Lord said, move up to Charlotte. So in 2020, I'll wind it down here. We moved up to Charlotte. I was traveling, writing, speaking, and I got a call one day from a pastor in our area who said, I just got a call from my spiritual father. He's asking me to move to Alabama. And when I was on the phone, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to give Jeremiah Johnson your 13-acre property for free. So random call one day. So little did he know that I had been writing this book called Prophetic Pioneering. The subtitle is A Call to Build and Establish God's New Era Wineskins. And I had been sitting in Acts 13. And in Acts 13, it's a prototype. It's a first ever in the first century where they actively trained and sent out. There was team there. There was prayer and fasting there. There was support for Israel there. But the Lord began to say to me during the pandemic, in the same way Antioch was a prototype in the first century, 
I'm going to once again raise up modern day Antiochs in the 21st century. So I was sitting there in Acts 13 having written this book. So you can imagine when this pastor calls me out of the blue and says, I want to give you my 13-acre church campus for free. I was shocked. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Jeremiah, I'm giving you 13 for 13 do Acts 13. You're not only just going to write a book about it, you're going to birth it yourself. And so I have found myself in another season over the last couple of years, church planning and building fivefold ministry teams and dialoguing and interacting with so many different leaders from around the world. And so when William had invited me, I'm, I'm at a place in my life where I will not go unless I have an assignment. I know it can come off maybe how you would take it, but I get nearly 500 invitations a year to come travel and come preach. And because I'm also laboring on a local level, I can't take them all. And there's been seasons in my life where I've had to recognize the calling, the assignment on my life. And I've realized that there are two primary assignments God has given me as I travel. Number one, he calls me as a prophet to apostles. And he helps me to trans, he helps to use me to transition them into their destiny. And then secondly, the Lord has called me to come alongside of movements and churches and prophesy to them where they're headed. And so as William invited me, I prayed and said, Lord, is there an assignment here? I'm looking at all these invitations all over the world, and the Lord confirmed to me there's absolutely an assignment here. And the phrase that God gave me was, apostolic transition that this church and this movement is in the middle of an apostolic transition and God has sent me here to give language to it. And the reason why I shared part of my story is what you're going to hear today and what we're going to read in the Word is not pontification. It's not theory. There's a lot of talk on social media and there's a lot of claims. I'm fivefold this and and there's no grace, and there's no fruit, and there's no real evidence of what we've just so wildly thrown around terminology-wise. And so I had a dream last night. This usually happens nine out of ten times when I have an assignment. And so I'm going to tell you the dream that I had last night for you all by way of just diving into the Word of God. And we did bring... Uh, some product. It's interesting. Acts 13, I got given a free 13-acre campus, and this is my 13th book. 1313, and I just celebrated our 13-year anniversary being married. We have four children. Oh, there's a lot of seasons where you're trying to find the will of God. You're trying to discern the will of God. I've personally been in a season where you can't really miss it. But it's honestly even amazing, even as God makes it so clear, we still need 28 confirmations. Sometimes the word of the Lord is just do it, right? So 
Here's the dream that I had last night here for you, and I'm just gonna mention it briefly. The dream that God gave me last night, I showed up in what felt like a Jurassic Park attractional uh, theater, if you will. Now, if that offends you and you think Jurassic Park is demonic, I'm sorry, okay? How many of you know that movie, Jurassic Park, right? So they stream you in and they have all all sorts of uh, different dinosaurs and different attractions there. But when I looked up and looked at the sign, it said the charismatic zoo, So I'm in some kind of theme park that feels like I'm in Jurassic Park and I look up at the sign and it says the charismatic zoo. And what I found very interesting was it was like over here in this cage was a fire tunnel exhibit. And you could go through and they would teach you the fire tunnel, okay? And over here in this cage, they were talking to you about how to, it was like a quick access pass to become an apostle. And you could even, if you had more money, you could kind of quick circuit your way into a platform. That kind of feel. Now, I'm in the dream bent over feeling gross. I'm feeling like something is seriously off in the spirit here at the charismatic zoo. And there's all sorts of opportunities and there's laughter, there's cotton candy, there's popcorn. It's a very fun, exciting, exuberant kind of, you know, come one, come all. And in the dream, I'm walking through and I see this uh, little exhibit that it wasn't shiny. It wasn't glamorous, but I felt drawn toward it. And so I make my way over to this area and I realize like you you have to go through this passageway to get there. And so I walk down this passageway and there's a woman that's standing at the door. And she says, hey, Jeremiah, I'm here and what we do is Risen Nation Tours. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I haven't done anything in the, I'll do the Risen Nation Tour. Hmm. In this dream, this door opens up, and it is the most colorful, vibrant, angelic, celestial, it felt like heaven. And I'm walking down this path, and the Holy Spirit says to me, it's the road to Emmaus. And he says to me, Jeremiah, I've not called Risen Nation to be a part of the charismatic zoo. I've called Risen Nation to a different kind of path. It's called the road to Emmaus. And if you remember Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, the Risen Lord, Risen Nation, begins to reveal himself to them 
through the law, through the Psalms, through the prophets. And I believe that God has destined this body of believers to walk down the road of Emmaus. And ultimately what God is after here is a fellowship of burning hearts. He's after a gathering of men and women that just want Jesus. And you might even be here today and you've tried the charismatic soup and you've had a little of that and a little of this, but I believe that God is inviting this generation and he's inviting this body of believers down an ancient path that's not full of glitter and gold and glamour, but it is full full of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray today as we dive in the word of God. And if you have a yes in your heart, Lord, we just want you. It's 319, March 19th. I just couldn't get away from Acts 319 and Revelation 319, which says, repent. What if we need to repent for the way we've been doing church? One of the false prophets going to stop prophesying when we stop paying them. It's just amazing how quickly we go after the church and her leaders without realizing we've paid, we've paved, and we've paid their way to the top. What if today is about something breaking in the spirit realm? What if today is about pure and simple-hearted devotion to Jesus? What if this is about, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've made it, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I know that this is a house for him. I know that you all have set your face towards Psalm 132, but that will be tested in the days ahead. Whether you're really here for Jesus whether you're really committed to walk with him will always be tested as we do God's church, God's way. Will you pray with me? God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would release a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you are as we open up your word today. Lord, I pray that light would flood our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a strong apostolic team in this place. Lord, I pray for the greatest training and equipping this generation has ever seen. Lord, I pray that you would set religious captives free in America. Lord, I pray that you would break the chains of religious bondage that has left your people with their teeth rotting out and their bellies full of everything but you. Lord, we say no to the charismatic zoo today, and we say yes to the road called Emmaus. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you there? Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, and I'm going to try to get down to verse 16. I want to speak a little bit into this apostolic transition. I want to talk about team ministry, the blueprint that I believe the New Testament has revealed here in the Word of God. So Ephesians chapter 4, there's been a lot of teaching on the life, the death, 
the burial, the resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. There's been a lot of teaching on the life, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. But there has been very little teaching on his ascension. There is a reason why Jesus ascended, which is what we're going to reveal today, and it's important that we don't miss it. We know that Jesus rose from the dead, and according to Acts chapter 1, he spends a period of days making many convincing proofs that indeed he is the Son of God. And then it says that he ascends, and there's angels there. And they say to the people, why are you grieving? In the same way he goes up, he's going to come back down. So we know that Jesus is going to come again. But there was a reason why he ascended, which is what we're going to read here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he ascended, he who ascended far above the heavens, and then underline this, that he might fill all things. Why did Jesus Christ ascend? That he might fill all things. How did he choose to do that? Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'm going to stop right there and see at the end if we can't finish up there. So Jesus Christ ascends. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to unveil to us why Jesus Christ ascended. It says in verse 10 that he might fill all things. This is the Greek word palero, which means to richly furbish with a substance that he might fill all things. In other words, that he might richly furbish the earth with a revelation, demonstration, and manifestation of who he really is. It's very important when we talk about the five-fold ministry that we understand we are not talking about five ministries that Jesus gave to his body to hijack the glory that only he deserves. 
there was a time in the body of Christ where the fivefold ministry was taught and in my opinion, probably rejected because men and women with agendas who wanted to use their calling to hijack the glory began to preach and teach this kind of material and it put a sour taste in the mouth of the church. And what I believe God is doing in a new era is he is asking us to recover that which he has destined for his glory and that as we walk forward as the people of God, he begins to heal us and mend us. Let me say something. Satan does not counterfeit trash. There's a reason why he has counterfeited the grace message. Because the message of grace in its purest form has the power to deliver and set a generation free. But because it's so potent and powerful, Satan comes in and counterfeits it and makes grace a license to sin. Are you following me? the fivefold ministry. Satan has come and counterfeited it and polluted it and infiltrated it to the point where many people either don't want to hear about it or they've never even been taught it. And again, what I'm saying is in this generation, we're going to see a generation recapture a true New Testament blueprint and pattern, and they're going to be radical. Jesus-centered. It says, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given. How many of you are believers in Jesus Christ? Probably most of us. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been given grace. And we've not only been given grace, but each of us has been given a metron or a measure of grace. In other words, the measure of grace that God has given you will determine your sphere of influence. So in other words, you can have two individuals who have prophetic grace on them, but according to the metron, the measure of grace, that will determine the sphere. So in other words, what happens in our generation is we have men and women who have grace on their life and a metron that's going to lead them to millions... So then everybody with that same kind of grace is hopeful that they have the same kind of metron and oftentimes it's not true. There's only one, I'm just gonna tell you, there's only one Billy Graham. There's only one Reinhard Bonnke. There's only one, oftentimes our schools become full of individuals who have a similar grace as the leader but nowhere near the metron. 
and that whole school will forever feel like failures so long as they're not as famous as the leader. Can I just help somebody today? You've got to settle in your heart. I've been given grace by Jesus too, but I might have not been given the same measure of grace. And so I'm going to have to repent of jealousy. I'm going to have to repent of insecurity. I'm going to have to repent of idolizing them. And I'm going to have to repent of spending so much time worried about what God has called someone else to do that I've never really focused on what he's called me to do. Folks, we have way too many mimics way too many copycats, way too many people in this generation trying to mimic and copy the grace and anointing on someone's life rather than pursuing the original divine design that God has placed in your life. We need to come into agreement. So Paul makes all of these phrases, in accordance to the grace given to me, I say to you, What's he saying? It's the Greek word kata, which means I'm in agreement with it. Have you come into agreement with the grace God has given you yet? Or are you still running? I'm telling you, many in the charismatic zoo, we don't even know what grace we've been given because we're chasing after famous somebody with a blue check mark. I just want, <laughs> and I sit in these meetings and these conferences and I'm like, it feels gross in here. It feels like nepotism. It feels like favoritism. It feels like we've made this person a golden calf. We clamor and we cling for an impartation and we clamor and cling for a prayer. I've been telling people, if you knew what they went through to get it, because the greater the measure, the greater the crushing, the greater the influence, the more the warfare. If you knew what they went through to get that, you wouldn't come up, you'd run out. Okay, so let's settle it. Every believer in Jesus has grace from the Holy Spirit. You have gifts, you have grace, you can partner and operate with the Holy Spirit. But it clearly says here in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus has given gifts to men. The Holy Spirit has given gifts and grace to all believers. But Jesus has given five gifts to his body. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Everybody has grace from the Holy Spirit, but only Jesus has given his body five ministries, five gifts, and what's their purpose? To fill the earth with a revelation, demonstration, and manifestation of who he really is. Is everyone called to the fivefold ministry? Absolutely not. It's pretty clear there. He gave some. In the Greek, it literally says emphatically, 
categorically and explicitly. He has categorically, explicitly, and he has emphatically only given some. Now again, before we get bent out of shape, are the fivefold ministers better than the believers who have gifts from the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Don't fall into this hierarchy. Don't fall into this religious trap where we try to make it about building our ministries and our platforms. Because remember, it's all about Jesus. All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit were not meant to put on a show so that men and women could leave being worshipped. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are in demonstration to point us back to Christ. Jesus has given apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists to his body so that we might rightly represent him, demonstrate him, and manifest him to his body. Folks, we have an opportunity in this generation like no other to truly make it about Christ. I'm grateful for the huge, mega, one-man ministries that rose in the 60s and 70s and 80s that put God on display. But I'm prophesying to you that what we're going to see in this generation is not so much huge, famous, one-man ministries. We're going to see a training and equipping of the work of ministry. And you're going to see every sphere of society. You're going to see apostles raised up up in the marketplace. You're going to see prophets raised up in the government. You're going to see evangelists who are school teachers. They're teaching you math, but they're really inviting you into a fresh encounter. So it's all about Jesus, but each of us have a responsibility to stop being a bunch of pew fodder for preachers. You're going to have to have religious chains broken off of your life that have taught you how to follow a religious way of doing things rather than coming and getting trained and equipped. Folks, I don't know if, if anybody's a sports fan in here. Any sports fans? One time I tried to go against the Dallas Cowboys and I thought they're going to run me out. I told them and like, 2017, the Cowboys have become an idol. Y'all need to repent. Security, man, they... Get him out of here. When we gather together as the ecclesia, folks, this is the practice. Do you realize the game is when you leave here? But so much of Christianity, they think that this is the main event and then I leave and struggle and try to pay my bills and help my family and everybody's sick and everybody's tired and everybody's on the... Folks, this is the training and equipping center. This is the military base. This is where we get mantled. This is where we get fed healthy, mature, sound doctrine. This 
is where you get blessed and sent to infiltrate and represent Jesus in your sphere. Again, I thank God for famous preachers and I thank God for mighty men and women of God, but you are going to see a turning. You are going to see an about face in the church all over the world where they're going to shift into mothering and fathering and training and equipping and we're not going to boast about how many, how many campuses, how much money, how many people. We're going to define success as how many have you sent? How many have you empowered? How many have you released into their sphere of influence? But again, who am I talking about? Everybody wave at me. So you've got to get over spectator, religious Christianity. You've got to become a participator. You've got to go to war on lethargy and complacency and apathy and all the excuses. You've got to see yourself as a minister of the gospel. You've got to see yourself as someone that God has not overlooked. He has given you either grace from the Holy Spirit or you not only have grace from the Holy Spirit, but Jesus has called you and mantled you as one of his five gifts to the body. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't need it. You do. It says that he's given five ministries to his body. We know that Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, he is the apostle. He is the confession of our faith. This is why I'm going to continue to teach because it's very important that we understand what the Spirit of God is communicating to us. So Jesus Christ was the greatest apostle who ever lived. Say amen the greatest apostle who ever lived. Now we know that he has given one of his five gifts to the body, namely apostles. Apostles come modern day and they are little A's. Say little A. Little A's are in the Lord's body and their role is to reveal, demonstrate, and manifest the big A. Apostles are given to the Lord's body to reveal the apostolic nature of Christ. And as they reveal and demonstrate and manifest the apostolic nature of Christ, they raise up an apostolic people. We know that Jesus was the greatest prophet who ever lived. He was mighty and word and deed. Jesus has given his body little peace, little prophets to reveal the prophetic nature of who he is and to raise up prophetic people. Are you tracking with me? Again, modern day fivefold ministry is sent to his body as a gift to demonstrate, revelate, and manifest the God-man Jesus Christ. He alone is the mediator between God and man. But let me take you back to the charismatic zoo real quick. 
In the charismatic zoo, we believe that prophets are the mediator between God and man. We're still stuck in an old covenant. And so I apparently don't know how to hear God for myself, which by the way, the blood of Jesus has banned feeding to Christianity. The blood of Jesus has given you access. You've been given the precious Holy Spirit. But because we don't want to own God as our personal possession, we run to the charismatic zoo and say, bring a prophet. And we treat them like fortune tellers and psychics and modern day prostitutes. And we wonder what's happening with the prophetic. We have defiled that ministry and they themselves have been guilty of allowing themselves to be prostituted. Bring me a prophet. If a real prophet is in your midst, they will never allow you to become codependent upon them to hear from God. Their role is to teach you how to hear God for yourself. We'll hardly clap for this and they won't tell you this because we're afraid we're gonna lose our jobs. But I'm just here to tell you in the charismatic zoo, your ministry call is your job. On the road to Emmaus, I'm telling you, the calling is divine. It's not an occupation. It's not a job. You're mantled to do it whether you're paid or not. You're not a prostitute. You're not up for sale. There's no price that can be Put on your head that you will bow to the fear of man. So we have apostles and prophets and teachers. He was the rabbi, the rabboni, the greatest teacher that ever lived. And he's given us teachers to represent him. He was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. He was the greatest shepherd, the pastor. Are you tracking with me? He chose to fill the earth. He ascended, and as he ascends, he begins to fill his body with the fullness of who he is, and he has chosen to do that through five ministries. And their role is to train and equip the body for the work of ministry. Let me circle back around. The priesthood of all believers was never meant to be at war with the fivefold ministry. Priesthood of believers, I've been hurt by the church. They're too controlling. They're true manipulating. We don't need church leaders. We can hear God from ourselves. And then you have controlling, manipulating, five-fold ministers who are using it all for their glory. Let me tell you, it's not one or the other. It's both coming into biblical alignment and revelation. And I'm prophesying it's going to happen in this generation. You are going to see a healthy, mature company of leaders and believers fellowshipping together and the unity of the spirit empowered to make war in cities across the world and advance the kingdom of God. It's going to be glorious. Gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts. So what's the difference? Let me help you again. I'm a believer and I've been given gifts. 
Holy Spirit. If I'm one of the five, I myself am the gift to the body. But again, how'd you just hear that? Touch not the Lord's anointed. People teach this stuff like, oh, I'm God's gift. I'm God's prophet. I'm God's apostle. Don't, you can't question me. You can't touch me. All of these scriptures have been perverted and twisted to prop up carnal agendas. True men and women of God are servants. They need to smell like sheep. They need to be immersed in the body of Christ. But again, I realize I'm, I'm standing in a room full of probably decades of church experience that looks nothing like this. And what I want to encourage you is let's go back to the word. Let's go back with this wrestle of Jesus. If you've given five ministries to your body, why do we call everybody pastor? I got 26 minutes left. I'm going to keep making it awkward. I'm just going to keep asking questions. There are five ministries that Jesus has given his body, and we know that we have to have all five functioning. Well, here's the thing. It says in verse 13, until. Oh, brother, there's no more apostles and prophets. We just have pastors and teachers, and anybody that travels, we call an evangelist. It says, until we all reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, we are going to need all five ministries functioning in the Lord's body until we reach unity. So you can't pick and choose what you like and what you don't like and think you're going to mature in Christ. Folks, people come to me and say, I only listen to... I cringe. What are you saying? You're only willing to accept one-fifth of Christ. Because hear me, this is not about you rejecting the five-fold ministry. This is about us rejecting the fullness of Christ. When we throw away and when we cut out, and again, here's an amazing thing. New Testament the two most mentioned or the three most mentioned ministries in the New Testament, apostles, prophets, teachers. The, the three least mentioned in the church today, apostles, prophets, teachers. It's wild. You stand up and call someone an apostle, people lose their mind. I'm educated, assemblies of God. I grew up in a culture where literally everybody that gets a Bible degree and everybody that feels called to the ministry is somehow a pastor. And I've been wondering, why do we do that? Why do we place religious boxes on men and women of God who have a different measure of Christ's gift operating? Folks, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm currently getting invited into churches all over America, and I'm beginning to prophesy and lay this out because we are in a new era where there's an apostolic transition taking place. And again, 
Again, it has nothing to do with men in our ministries. It's so that Jesus can come and get his full inheritance in every nation and every city and every, everywhere around the world. Jesus is coming to his church. Who's ever done the Love and Respect series by the Egrets? Has anybody ever did that series? Okay, Love and Respect. No? no, we don't do that here. Okay, great marriage material. Highly recommend it. Love and Respect by Dr. Egrets. They come and they help married couples. And they say, men see life through blue goggles and women see life through pink goggles. I think the secular psychologist said, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. How many of you heard that? Repent or rebuke you. You need to love and respect. Okay. So they're coming to couples. They can't communicate. They can't get along. And they're trying to show men, hey, your wife is wired emotionally. Hey, what you think, half the conversations you think you had, you never did. It's in your mind. And then they're trying to coach women. Hey, your husband is a strange bird, isn't he? I mean, you're trying to get the details. You're trying to understand what happened. He's like, we're good. It was great. Okay? Track with me. In that same way that God has created men and women differently, he has given each of his five ministries a different lens in which they relate to God's body. If I stood up an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, and asked them, what is God saying to the body? I want you to write this phrase down. Grace determines function. They're going to answer that question according to the grace that God has given them. If you stand an evangelist up and ask them what is God saying to the church, they don't care about anything that happens within the four walls. Their grace that they've been given is going to be Luke 4, and it's going to be Isaiah 62, or 60. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed. You evangelists, we need to preach the gospel. We need to do outreaches. All the church is becoming lethargic and fat. They just need to get their butts out into the highways and the byways. People are dying, going to hell. We need more miracles. Listen to an evangelist share the portion of Christ that they've been given. You stand up a teacher. What is the Lord saying to the, bo the body? Teachers are line upon line, precept upon precept. They're going to say, we need more Bible studies, brother. The church has become apostate. No one's reading their Bible. No one knows the, the word. Teachers have a grace for discipleship. Teachers have a word to make sure that we can handle and be approved by by the word of God. You stand up a prophet. God help them. <laughs> it's dreams and it's visions and it's Holy Ghost and we're unstable. We're just like, move a God, deliverance. 
whatever. We hate sermon series. It's all seasonal. <laughs> the atmosphere. I mean, folks, I'll bring my wife next time. Listen, I'm literally in a marriage where according to all the tests, I am heavy apostolic prophetic. And my wife is heavy, probably only pastoral. You can imagine church planning, building teams, loving people. We're daily intention. A married couple sits before us and I'm just praying for words of knowledge about how to deliver them. And my wife, lovely pastor, oh, I'm sorry. You went through that and your pain and... Listen, pastors love hospital visit visitation. Prophets want to empty out the hospitals. Okay, remember though, it's all about Jesus. When you start picking which ones you like, you're picking which part of Christ you like. You bring an apostle. Listen, apostles run military bases. They're after your maturity. They are about order. They are about foundation. They are about suck it up, buttercup. I'm gonna love you dearly, but you better get your behind out there and take another swing. Is this helping anybody? We got 18 minutes. Here we go, buckle your seatbelts. So listen to me, Ephesians 2.20, the foundation of the church is built upon the apostles and prophets. The ministries of apostles and prophets always lean toward one another because their grace gift is similar. When you look in the New Testament, let me give you an example. There are zero examples in the New Testament of pastors planting churches. There are zero examples in the New Testament of evangelists planting churches. The only grace gifts that plant churches in the New Testament are apostles or apostle prophet teams. Why? Grace determines function. They carry blueprints and foundation and a revelation of Christ Jesus that he has given them where they can lay the foundation and get things set and then get out of the way. Do you know this whole concept of an apostle planted a church and they've been there 50 years is non-relevant? When you look at Paul and the apostles and the prophets, their dimension means sent. God sends them to a region and a territory to plant churches and lay foundation. And when things get settled, it's time for the pastors and the teachers. It's time for the shepherding. It's time for the marrying, the burying. It's time for the baby showers. It's time for the kids' church skating party. They don't care about that. They want to go to war. We're, if a, and if an apostle stood up here, their whole vision is they think nations before need. If a pastor stands up here, they think need before nations. 
If an apostle stands up here, they think kingdom. If a pastor stands up here, they think congregation. See, the ministries of pastors and teachers, they're mantled with tunnel vision because the care and the concern and the nourishing of the flock is their chief desire where apostles and prophets want to throw the place into revival and awakening and deliverance and let's turn the city upside down. Can I propose to you, however, we need them all. Here's what I see. I go into places and it's all about apostles and prophets. And it's all about the war. And it's all about the urgency of the hour. And it's all about how controlling and manipulating the local church really is. And you know what's funny? I might offend somebody. Everybody's been married three times. Everybody's marriage is dysfunctional. Everybody's kids have been raised at revival services and they've never been raised by mom and dad that were present in the home. So you have, they call them apostolic centers. We're so about rah, rah, rah on the war. We're all emotionally unhealthy. We're off the charts in spiritual growth. We can cast demons out. We can do it all. But when it comes to the health and the welfare of the people, they're jacked up. And then you have the local church, pastors and teachers, programs known to man, excellence, discipleship, pastoral care, but we don't have any fire. No one's been trained and equipped how to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And so then we're fighting. The local church, pastors and teachers shoot arrows at the apostolic prophetic crowd because they're a bunch of wacky out there, blown here and there, and you need some stability, and you need some care, and then the apostles and prophets wage war on the local church because you're dry, and you're stale, and you're full of religion. Folks, Jesus ascended on high, and he gave gifts to men so that we can learn how to get over ourselves and work together. What's the implications of all of this? We need teams. Well, I wonder who's preaching today. Who cares? Oh my, I'm going to get in trouble. I go, I go to this ceremony of a famous preacher, mega church, and they're giving him an award. The award is he's preached there 35 years every Sunday. And they're applauding him for his faithfulness to the people of God. And I'm sure that there's some measure of that somewhere, but I wept in the back. And you know why I wept in the back? Because for 35 years, only one-fifth of Christ was ever shared with those people. I only listen to. I'm loyal to. Folks, he has given five ministries to his body. And again, here we go, religious. I'm talking with a pastor. <laughs> it's great. Jeremiah, I am all five. Oh, so you're Jesus Christ. You're, you're masking 
your pride and your arrogance and your unwillingness to share your pulpit and your congregation. You're masking all the insecurity and the jealousy by claiming that you're all five rather than learning how to function in your lane and make room for others. Just a theory. I think we picked pastor out of the five and propped them up in America because by nature they're the nicest. They're the most palatable. Welcome senior pastor. What does that mean? We're going to get a guy in the middle who's going to rally us together and how's everybody doing and you're going to make it and your best life now. And We got all the feels and we got to work. Is there anything wrong with pastors? Absolutely not. We should honor them. We need them. But why we have chosen to only lift up pastors and literally ignore four other ministries at the expense of the glory of Christ, it's to our shame. I've lived this. National speaker, world renowned. And I've chosen to build teams everywhere I've preached, everywhere I've planted. It's hilarious. We have a preaching rotation. Why? Because I value marriage and family. I preach on some Sundays, but other Sundays I'm sitting in our congregation with our people, holding my wife's hands, taking care of our kids and people from around the nation. What's wrong, brother? Are you in sin? Are, are, have the elders, how long's the time of restoration? Six months? Are you sick? You know, I, if I really know him, I say, no, you're sick. <laughs> no, you're, you're sick, though. You're, you're sick, though. I, I rejoice that you drove 5,000 miles so I can lay hands on you and you get some word at the charismatic zoo. But I just wonder when we're going to get to the place where it's a house for him. It, it, does, it doesn't matter who's preaching and who's teaching. I'm here to receive a portion of Christ and say yes. Folks, if you go on my, my uh, uh, music list or my podcast, I listen to them all. I've got, I've got a guy that I listen to that makes me feel like I'm not saved. I've got a guy on there, you can laugh, who makes me feel like I'll never lose my salvation. Okay, wrong crowd. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. One guy is going nuts about the standard of holiness and righteousness and the urgency of the hour and repent. And I'm hearing a prophet talk. And then I'm hearing a pastor on another message massage me and coddle me and love me and tell me I'm going to make it today. And then I've got like Mike Bickle, who's line upon line. I'm like, Mike, I don't want to study Revelation again. I don't want no more hundred million intercessors for Israel. I, I can't. So in America, we're, we're, we're heavy pastor. 
heavy nurturing, heavy coddling, heavy loving. That's fine, but here's my fear though. We're training people how to reject the lion. We've served the lamb, but we don't know the lion. We've served the kindness and the goodness and the nature of Christ that makes everybody feel good. But then when apostles and prophets emerge and deep within their spirit is a desire to get right with God and bring order and direction, we say this can't be him. Some of my altar call today is we've got to get before the Lord and say, Lord, where am I really full of you in this area? And where am I deeply debilitated or disabled of you in this other area? Why can I listen to someone who just makes me feel good and that's all that I want? But when someone stands up in the assembly and calls for repentance, I want to run out the door. Lots of pastors, lots of teachers, lots of Bible study, lots of programs. Maybe some, or maybe you came from the whole apostolic prophetic revival every Sunday and now no one's kids even know the Lord. I minister in a lot of those circles. It's like, ah, brother, the revival's been going 20 years. I'm like, where are your kids? Where's your wife? Was it really worth it? Why can't we have it all? Why can't we have teams? Why can't we train and equip people? Why can't we give Jesus what he deserves? And then something that's unique to America is we've had evangelists become pastors. And this to me is the rise of the modern day megachurch. You know, when evangelists plant churches and get out of their lane, the church becomes a mile wide and an inch deep. When evangelists who are soul winners, when they plant churches every Sunday, we're drawing people to Christ and we're getting them saved. But if it's all about us, we have no grace to disciple and clean the fish. And so the turnover rate at megachurches where evangelists are leading, and here's the thing, evangelists, I haven't really mentioned them a lot because here's the thing, we know in Ephesians and Peter, you and I are living stones and we're being built and fitted and growing together as a spiritual house, a dwelling place of God. Evangelists go outside the house and they go rescue the dead stones. Outside of the house, preach the gospel, win the souls, convert dead stones and drop them back in the house and let the rest of the team fit and build and grow. But because we don't want to work together as a team, evangelists are planning churches burning out. We're ruining people's lives and we're wondering why. We're out of New Testament order. Let me give you another biblical example. Philip. Philip goes down to Samaria preaches the gospel, and people start getting saved. What does he do? He goes and gets the apostles. 
He goes and gets Peter and John because he recognizes they have grace that I don't. You can evangelize your city. You're called an evangelist. Amen. Where are you dropping them off at? Here's what I've noticed. Folks, I have at least 20 years into what I'm talking about. Even in my 20 years, here's what I've realized. Evangelists, most of their need to be a part of something local is not for them. It's for their marriage and family. They're going to feel awkward. They're going to feel like we're wasting time. They're going to sit there. Man, people are dying and going to hell. Why are we singing more songs? Does anybody know Mario Murillo? I love that brother. Every time we have him in, he's like, can worship be 10 minutes? Like these, these people, they already worshiped at home. Just stop. Like we need to win the loss. We need an evangelist talking. Okay, how we doing? Good, we're gonna, we're gonna land the plane. Who do we need to repent to today? You have people who have been hurt by the church. And if we're honest, part of our hurt was we might have wanted individuals to be one of these ministries that they're just not. Do you know how many people sit in churches where the dear brother is a pastor? And they're ranting and they're raving about no outreach and about no evangelism, about no whatever, failing to realize excuse my language, you're behind. The reason why you saw the need was so you could fulfill it. Oh, they never wanted to work with me. Well, how was your attitude? How was your service? How was your, folks, some of us today, you're gonna feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit of man. I've tried to box in leaders. I've tried to put a mantle on individuals that God never created them to be. I've held on to people. I've asked them where they're going. I don't want them to travel. I don't want them to plant new works. I, thought, I want them to be my pastor forever. And by having those desires and putting those demands on people, you're part of the religious system that God is trying to expose and overthrow. Recognizing grace should help us to place people. Welcome to social media. You know what I do? I, I read social media and I hear who's talking. And as one dear sister, I mean, literally every stinking day, the church this and the church that. We need missions. We need the poor. What about them? I'm like, here's your evangelist talking. You know, I say, I see you, Jesus. I see that part of you that loves the poor, that loves the needy, that loves the broken. And I see this other sister, you know, little prophetess. The church, they're in sin. Repent. They're sounding the alarm. And like, I see you, Jesus. And I see this other dear brother online, the pastor, you know, words of encouragement through the pandemic. And I'll go to the hospital and they're just, they're calming, they're comforting. I'm like, I see you, Jesus. And you got these people, all they do is post scriptures. I'm like, I see you, teacher. I see all of you, Jesus. But let's put down the swords today. 
let, let's, let's stop fighting. Let's stop making war on one another. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's release one another. Folks, I'm telling you, I get the tension. I've lived it. I've assembled teams together and I've facilitated them working together where it's like pulling a rope at one end and you feel the tension of it. My wife loves Chinese food. I hate Buddha. She's, she's just a lovely person. We're going to go to the Chinese restaurant and honey, isn't the scenery and you know, it's nice. And I'm like the prophet in me. I want to kick them. I, I want to stand up and bring them all to repentance. We just did our last do, do not go to Asheville, North Carolina. We, 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 honey, the the mountains, and it's going to be pretty. And we're literally driving on 40, and I'm like, oh my God, the power of witchcraft. I can feel it. She's like, let's go to some Biltmore thing. It's, and we're walking into Biltmore, and I'm like, honey, this, this is yucky. Something happened here. I don't know about this family. Like, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. Let's just enjoy People invite us into their home for, for dinner. And again, my, she's looking at the lawn and the, the furniture, and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. I think they fought last night. I don't, something, it's good to laugh. You need to laugh. We, we need to, I feel like as we close today, we need to try to give one another more liberty. Some people are trying to find that grace. Some people are trying to discern the sphere, the calling, the metron. I pray that this house can be a house for him. That as people are transitioning and, and people are getting in line, and folks, sometimes we fear transition, but unless we transition, other people can emerge and take their place. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.